Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Tuesday, 4th of February. I'm Andy Brassel. She's Jules Breach. And this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Today, as the dust settles after the closure of the transfer window, should that be slamming shut, Olivier Giroud is still trapped inside. So we see what the future is going to hold for Chelsea's forgotten centre-forward. We'll also be looking at Newcastle United in the wake of their transfer window dealings and getting to your lovely correspondence. And remember, you can always get us at Andy Brassel, at Jules Breach, and Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Jules, you're in the chair on VT Sports Score, what with uh, Pugas being off Six Nations. Is it Six or Seven Nations? Six Nations. Right, I know so little about rugby. I know nothing about rugby. It's it's (laughs) some nations. Yeah, I think it's Six Nations. We'll call it Six Nations anyway. Someone will correct us if we're wrong. He was off doing his rugby stuff anyway. So, So you're in the big chair. And how was it being in the big chair while you had to suffer West Ham United versus Brighton and Hove Albion? I was really excited that while sitting in the big chair, I got to do the games I did on Saturday because yeah. it was so exciting throughout the afternoon. It was changing. I think at, at half time, six different teams had been in the bottom three and it was changing constantly with Watford going ahead, then Everton equalising and then, of course, Bournemouth going ahead, West Ham going in front. It was all sorts of emotions. And mm. as soon as it went 3-1 to West Ham, I thought, oh, for God's sake, we've blown this. And West yeah. Ham... Brighton haven't lost to in the Premier League. So as Brighton fans, we've got quite good memories of going to the London Stadium and playing against West Ham since coming up to the Premier League. So it was a game that I know that as fans, we're targeting and we're looking at that going, we can win that game. And you're thinking if we can't beat West Ham, we can't beat anyone. who are you going to beat? Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, 3-1, you're thinking, oh, the game is over. How are we going to get back into this? And it was 
a roller coaster of emotions. My palms were sweating. I was I was desperate for the full time whistle to go because a draw when you when you're three one down at one stage mm. in in the game is a good point to take away. Obviously, at the start of the game, you're looking to to go away with all three points. But considering how the game panned out, more than happy with a point come the end. Although mm. having said that, Fabianski, I feel like every single weekend I say that whichever goalkeeper we face has made some excellent saves. It was no different this weekend as well because Fabianski was awesome, particularly from Solly March's free kick. It was going top bins and Mm. I have no idea how he saves it because he almost looks like he goes with the wrong hand when he saves it as well, but he manages to get fingertips to it. And that was in like the last couple of minutes of the match. That was the save of the game and and earned West Ham a point. So I'm I'm sure West Ham fans are pretty buzzing to have Fabianski back. But for me, sat in that chair trying to, you know, get the show in order and trying to sell all the stories, trying to keep all the pundits in check. I had six of them, six big characters on the sofa to try and keep in check and keep the conversation moving whilst also trying to not let my emotions get the better of me was, yeah, quite tough. Well, I I turned on because I always like to have a a, a bit of a look when you're on there and I'm, I'm indoors on a Saturday afternoon and... Um, I was I was doing some like house moving stuff type work. You don't need to know details. <laughs> and anyway, I I turned it on, and when I saw Tim Sherwood doing Watford versus Everton, I had this like childhood flashback of, oh yeah, he used to play for Watford. Didn't yeah, you? he started his career there, didn't he? Yeah, it's it's really easy to forget because he's done so much. You think Premier League winner, coach of various different Premier League teams, and yeah, there, there he is there he is talking about Watford and yeah. that's what's good about Tim is when he comes on the show you can you can give him quite a few different teams to watch because he's had experiences with quite a few as you say as yeah. a manager or as a player as well and uh, he was brilliant at the Watford Everton game because there's plenty going on for him wasn't so there? much going on but yeah. also he said right from the start of that match Everton are going to win this he, oh, Anche- really? Anche- yeah he said oh, Anche- Ancelotti had played such an attacking side and he said there's there's no way that Everton are going to lose this game obviously then they went 2-0 down and he was thinking <laughs> oh god I've predicted this one completely wrong uh, but in the end obviously he was right but Chris Sutton was watching the West Ham Brighton game and obviously the, the, the big moment in the match was the Glenn, Mar- Mar- Glenn Murray handball or wasn't it a handball situation now when it actually it, what are you saying belly ball is that what we're saying, belly ball? I think it hits his hip, yeah. I think at the time, it looked like a handball. I'm going bottom of the rib cage, uh, stop of start of where many men might have a slight gut. <laughs> as long as it not, not Muzzer though. No, oh God, not no. Muzzer. No. Yeah, he might be 36, but he's in he's decent, a fine figure decent of a man. shape, isn't he? Yeah. But at that moment, when that goal went in, even the Brighton players, I think it was um, Gross went over to the to the referee and, and and he even did the signal for handball, kind of like saying it was handball, right? Um, and all of us in the studio all went, oh yeah, it's definite handball. I didn't yeah. even get excited in the slightest because I just thought it's a definite handball. When you look at it in normal speed, on first glance, it looks like a definite handball. So I didn't get my, my hopes up at all. But it was strange because Glenn Murray went running off celebrating. And if as a player, you know you've handballed it you wouldn't be stupid enough to run off celebrating would you I, I did think well he must know he's not handballed it and then obviously VAR checked it and thank you VAR they couldn't prove that it was a handball so the goal stood and actually when you look at the replays and you slow it down it wasn't a handball so there we go we got the equaliser happy days come away with a point after that there's an interesting way of celebrating a goal not something that I've ever been through with with with, with my team obviously but thinking it's not a goal and then realising it is, 
it's quite a different sensation to thinking you've scored and it then being chalked Taking off. Away. Yeah, no, that it was weird because I still celebrated, obviously, mm. but they, it was quite a long time as well. It was a good couple of minutes while they were checking yeah. it. They had to look at the replays quite a few times. But in that in that moment, I obviously started getting my hopes up because at, at first, like I said, my instant reaction was, it's a handball. Yes. It's a handball. It's not a goal. So I didn't get excited. Then all of a sudden, the more they checked it, and we're obviously seeing the replays on our monitors as well. And I'm hearing the pundits. I was hearing Jermaine Genius go, Do you know what? I don't think it I don't think it's hit his hand. Yeah. And then Kevin Nolan, who was sat next to him, said, I don't think I don't think it's hit his hand either. And then I'm like, Oh my God, it's not his hand. Then all of a sudden the emotions start rising and you start getting excited. And then when VAR says it's a goal, no handball, it's like, come on. So then then you do get that kind of delayed yeah. celebration. So it's one of the things that um, that obviously everyone talks about with VAR, the, the difference in how you celebrate goals and the emotions. I don't think it takes any emotions away. And if anything, it heightens the emotions. Whether that's a good or a bad thing is obviously what everyone's discussing. You know, we're, we're not in a great position, but I know that I was that when I came in. We have to win games and uh, we hope that we are one of the teams that go on a run in the coming games. We've also got winnable games at different parts, but we've also got some tough games as well. I think it's a really important performance for us. It's a fight. We, we know that. We know the Premier League's tough and um, we, need to, we need to show that we're ready for that. There have been lots of loans and proper transfers because we did have the, the end of the transfer window uh, last week. I don't know if it was quite as spectacular as you perhaps expecting it felt to me like our clubs are a little bit more sensible there were less daft deals there was no Andy Carroll Fernando Torres moment was there and talking of strikers one striker who we were expecting would perhaps move but stayed put Olivier Giroud now on on the Friday Frank Lampard um, gave a, a little talk up of Giroud's situation said he wasn't going to be going anywhere, um, commended him for his professionalism. And he said, not just how, what he is as a player, but what he is as a man. And then promptly left him out of the squad that travelled with Chelsea to Leicester. What do you make of Giroud's situation and where it leaves him? I feel really bad for him. I, f- I really feel for him because he clearly wanted to move away. This mm. is a guy who's only made seven appearances for Chelsea this season. And, when you think back to... There's not many starts in that either, No, is there? there isn't. I think only one Champions League appearance, five in um, the, the Premier League. Most of those as a substitute, I believe. Mm. And then uh, the other one was in the Super Cup, which he did score a goal in, actually. Yeah. Uh, but that's his only goal this season. But when you think back to the start of the season for Chelsea and trying to put yourself in Olivier Giroud's shoes, he was probably thinking, with a transfer ban in place, Chelsea aren't going to bring in a new striker. Yeah. He probably looked at this season and thought, He'll be, he'll be first choice. I I think he would have been looking at the situation and thinking he'd be first choice or at least be playing up top with Tammy Abraham or that Frank Lampard would interchange them because of Tammy's age and because he's young and yeah. it's his first season in the Premier League. I don't think that that would have been an unrealistic expectation I agree. at the start of the season. Is, is part of this down to how well Tammy Abraham has adapted to Premier League football? Definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think Frank Lampard would have been expecting to use a lot more of both Giroud and Batshuayi by this point. But what are we now? We're, you know, around 70% of the way through the season and he's not played enough minutes. And obviously, especially in a tournament year when we've got the Euros coming up, a player of Olivier Giroud's quality who will play for France this summer, Mm. you'd expect. Didier Deschamps even said himself that 
he needs to leave Chelsea because he's not played enough minutes. Now, when your international mm. manager is saying that, that is going to gear Giroud up even more so for a move away. So I feel really, really bad for him that, that nothing materialised because first he was linked with Inter and I think that's what he was holding out for, wasn't he, Andy? Yes. And then eventually it came about that that wasn't going to happen, that didn't materialise. So then Tottenham became the target and... As soon as I heard that, I thought, there's no way Chelsea are going to let him go to another rival. No, that would have been daft. That, that would have been really daft from from their perspective. The thing about the Inter thing that, uh, that I always found difficult to compute, there are not that many teams in Europe that play with two up top. Inter are one of them. And Lautaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku, who's been absolutely reborn, have been the best strike partnership in Europe this season. I don't know how Giroud's going into that. And you think, well, maybe... I'll play some games, but am I really going to play being being ahead of those? No, I, I think is the answer. But he would have turned up just at the right time because Lautaro's suspended. But still, I, th- I think th- the argument was that he'd be, have the same place in the hierarchy, but he'd play more minutes at Inter. Still, I, I think that's a big leap of faith if you're hoping to to play. I wonder, but of course, because Newcastle United, who we're going to come to in a bit, were interested. If if you were him, was that is that a sort of move that would make you think, yeah, I could I could do that? It is a strange one when you put it like that as well, because obviously if you're going to be competing with Lukaku, who would obviously be the first choice there, mm. then your minutes are also going to be limited there. But I guess there must have been something in it for why he was holding out for that, because yeah. they kind of, you know, I don't really know exactly what happened between Inter and Chelsea, but from what I've been reading in the papers and and other news sources, what everyone's reporting is that. Giroud was holding out for that move to take place and for yeah. some reason into a stalling. And then it's a few days before the window closes that they decide to let him down and say, do you know what, we've changed our mind. Well, I think it's the case of Chelsea not being able to get replacement as as, as, as well. I, I guess the argument's been made, re- replacement for what? Because he's, he's, he's not doing anything yeah. at, at, at the moment. I mean, if I was Giroud, I'd be so disappointed because Batswai, who's got a, a lot of good attributes, but nowhere near the all-round game of Olivier Giroud. I just wonder if it's not just the emergence of Tammy Abraham, but for me, Giroud feels a lot less useful for Chelsea with no Eden Hazard, because Hazard could not have been more clear when he was there that he loved to have Giroud on the team because he loved to play off him, just as Antoine Griezmann loves to play off Giroud at international level. Yeah, it's a different style of football now, isn't it, under Frank Lampard? And Mm. clearly what Frank Lampard wants to do with this team, obviously bringing through the younger players. Olivier Giroud's 33 years old now. Like in the grand scheme of this Chelsea team, that's actually quite old, isn't it? Which is crazy. I'm 33, by the way. So it's definitely not old, but in football terms, (laughs) 33 is old. And so you can see, you can understand why Frank Lampard has dealt with this the way he has. You know, he said Giroud could go if mm. they got a replacement. I I can I even though he hasn't used him much, I do understand why they wouldn't want to let him go if they didn't get a replacement because yeah, yeah. because obviously Tammy Abraham has been injured a couple of times this season already. Who knows if he might pick up a more serious injury. I was actually surprised yeah. that Tammy came back for the Leicester game at the weekend. Well, the thing is, he's, he's not played a full Premier League season, so you've no idea how his body's really going to react to, to going the full distance, especially when we're looking at the final straight and mm. coming into a set of games that could be really important for Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think this is the thing is, I can understand why Frank Lampard wanted to keep hold of him in the end. What I did find odd is that 
In Frank Lampard's press conference on deadline day, he said Olivier Giroud won't be leaving. And he was yeah. asked the question, what has Giroud been like in training? Is he training yeah. today? And he, you know, Frank Lampard said, yeah, he did train on Friday. And he said he's been a, an absolute professional about the whole thing, yeah. both personally and professionally. Yeah, he's been exemplary. Saying, yeah. So having said that, the fact he wasn't in the matchday squad the next day was weird. I don't understand why he would leave him out because usually it's a mindset thing, isn't it? You know, if you're linked with a club away, usually a manager and then the move doesn't happen. The manager will usually say, well, look, his, you know, his mind's in other places. But Frank has actually said it wasn't a mindset thing. So I don't really understand why he was left out because that's not really a good indication of what's to come now, is it? No. I mean, I've got to nail my colours to the mask straight here and go, he's, he's bound to score some vital goal against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. 100%. <laughs> now that's happened. It's, it's, it's pretty much nailed on, isn't it? Um, I, you know, he's he's a player who's, who's worth so much, I, I think. Um, you can't judge him by his goals and the goals have been scarce uh, at various points. What he can do for a, a team all round, and he's always had that that vision, that ability to make the runs, that ability to get other players playing off him. You, you look at uh, Eunice Belanda, uh, the midfield, goal-scoring midfielder. He played with a, a Montpellier who has had a good career but has never gone on to have the same career without Olivier Giroud. I think that's a really good indication of what Giroud can do to make the most of other players um, around him. For me, at the end of the season now, regardless of what happens... I think a move back to France is, is, is the most sensible thing. Um, I think he could go to a Marseille, to a Lyon, and be an important player for them and play. And I think the thing is, as well, you look at the amount of football he's played or hasn't played over the last year and a half, two years. If you're him, I reckon you've got quite a bit in the tank. Mm. You know, you said he was 33. What's the reason... He couldn't play until he was 36, 37, 38. He's someone who really looks after himself, who never relied on his pace in the first place. And he's if he can maintain his physical condition, he's only going to get smarter and smarter and smarter as, as time goes by. I see him as that kind of Teddy Sheringham figure who could go and go and go, to be honest. If Glenn Murray can get to the age of 36 and get a one-year mm. renewal on his contract at Brighton, <laughs> then I think Olivier Giroud can do it. I've always really enjoyed watching Giroud in the Premier League when in his time at Arsenal, in his time at Chelsea as well. As you say, you know, the last season and, and this season, he's not really um, had much of an impact, but that's not down to him. That's down to the fact he's not really played enough. But how influential is he for France and could he be this summer, do you think? Um, very influential. I mean, they would never countenance leaving him out of the squad. I think the question is, does he start now? That's that's really the the, the question. Um, and, you know, he, he he's someone who's, like we said, he, he makes Griezmann play, which is, which is massive. The whole team is based not around suiting Pogba. It's, it's, it's since the middle of Euro 2016, it's based around suiting Griezmann. And Griezmann would vote for him to be in the 11 10 times out of 10. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I, I do hope he, he doesn't just get put in cold storage for the, for, for the rest of the season. I, I think um, even though, as you say, Frank Lampard clearly wants to go in a, a different direction, I think to completely cut himself off from not just the experience, but that extra option that, that he gives. The reason he's been in the France squad for, for so long, when he's not been hammering them in for Arsenal and Chelsea, is the fact that 
that he can do stuff that no other striker that they've got available to them can do. I believe the same is true for Chelsea as well. Yeah, he offers something different, doesn't he? Well, let's hope that he gets the minutes he deserves and that we see him in that France squad this summer. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Of course, you can always uh, get in contact with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, and Jules and Andy at footballramblediaily.com because the emails are proving surprisingly popular. We're getting loads of them. They're uniformly excellent, and we shall come to more of them later. But before we do, we talked about who didn't move during the transfer window. But who did do a bit of movement and who I wasn't really expecting a bit of movement from was uh, Newcastle United. Now, of course, they got in uh, Nabil Bentaleb on loan from Schalke, helped him off the naughty boy's step uh, <laughs> straight into the big market. Then you've got uh, Valentino Lazaro as well, um, who's very good for her to last season, has come on loan from Inter after doing not much there. It could have been Olivier Giroud's pal on the bench. And also Danny Rose, which is an interesting one. That was one. a surprising one, wasn't well, it? Well, yeah, I, th- I think the way that he explained the move as well when he talked about how he'd, he saw Jetro Willems had got injured. So he, he said, right, I'm going to go there. Is that what happened? Can you sort it out? To, I didn't know to, that. To my agent, to, right. to, to his agent. Um, Have you got the same agent? <laughs> <laughs> 
there's no way I'm playing fullback for Newcastle <laughs> United. You can forget it. Um, so, I mean, I, I think if you go back to the start of the window, I mean, Newcastle United fans are healthily cynical at the best of times. I think they would have been pleasantly surprised by that. And of course, Bentaleb started at the weekend against Norwich. Uh, Lazaro and Rose came on as substitutes later. I mean, they'll be hoping for a, a bit more of an impact going down the line. Of course, that those those players have all, all got to settle in. I mean, Newcastle go to Oxford United in what seems like a really needless FA Cup replay with all due respect to Oxford because they should have finished them off at St. James's Park and they've just given, them, given themselves something really difficult to do. It's going to be on BBC One uh, at eight, 8 o'clock tonight. Um, the FA Cup is something really big in their season, at least for their supporters. But that Norwich game is <laughs> like a brutal reality check. I mean, when you're last on match of the day, it's never a good sign. I think most Newcastle United fans would have turned it off and gone straight to bed, wouldn't they? Well, what a way to bring their new signings down to earth with a goalless draw against the bottom of the table, Norwich. It was, yeah. it, as we, you say... We can say the worst team in the division, can't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. We well, statistically, they are, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the the least exciting of all the games on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock because there were no goals. And also, there weren't a great deal of chances either who got lumbered with it on score Kevin Nolan obviously former Newcastle captain so he was watching that one for us and he was trying to bring it to life bless him Um, Mm. there were a few opportunities in the game it wasn't for lack of effort or lack of trying I just feel like it was one of those games where beforehand you could have almost predicted it was going to be a goalless draw because this season Newcastle aren't scoring plenty of goals that's not what they're known for and you know it's it's been a shame really that it's, it's kind of been a bit weird for Newcastle this season because they got a couple of decent results and they moved their way up the table when, every, when they were kind of getting dragged into it. Mm. And then everyone was talking about this, you know, you know, we've given Steve Bruce time and now look what's happened. You know, we're making our way up the table. And then they got that incredible um, result against Everton last time out, which before this weekend, which was the two late goals, wasn't it? And, and yeah. you know, when, when results like that happen, you just don't know what's coming next. But I didn't, I don't know, a goalless draw, it wasn't exactly exciting, was it? And I wonder whether now Newcastle fans are, are starting to get slightly worried about where the rest of this season might go. Because I think a week ago, even two weeks ago, no one would have put Newcastle down there in a relegation fight whereas now looking at results they're not far off it and of the teams down there they're one of the teams that you'd say are least likely to score a lot of goals yeah yeah that's absolutely right I mean you you look at the table there's seven points clear um of, of West Ham with third bottom at, at the time of um chatting but you know there, there are plenty of teams down there who can put a group of results together. I mean, you would say on paper that West Ham have a better squad than them, wouldn't you? Objectively, yeah. West Ham have a better squad than them on paper. They've certainly, they've certainly spent more money and they're paying bigger wages. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, I think, that, you know, 31 points, they, they should be okay, but they're not completely safe. I mean, if you were a Newcastle United fan, Jules, how much would this game at Oxford tonight mean to you? Well, it's a difficult one because you know I like the FA Cup. As a, as a football fan, the team I support getting to the semi-finals last year, it, it is an important tournament for me as a fan. And I yeah, I like it as as a cup. And I I think that 
a cup run can do you the world of good in yeah. the league. And the last thing you want to do is go out to a League One side. Do you know what I mean? Like that's gonna, yeah. that's going to hurt your confidence. And especially with the squad that Steve Bruce has to play with, it's not massively deep. They haven't got the ability to rotate necessarily. We saw that, that in the last game. in this situation? I think in a way it is because yeah. it means that they've got to go strong in the cup, yeah. which means they're more likely to beat Oxford United, who, by the way, are not going to be a pushover. They're one no. of the top scoring teams in the top four divisions in England. Yeah, so, push, pushing for the playoffs as well in League absolutely. One. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're not, they're not going to be easy to beat tonight. And I think that I'm quite glad in a way that Newcastle are going to have to put out a fairly decent side in the cup because the nature of the Premier League season and where Newcastle are as we've already said they're not definitely safe they're still potentially could get dragged into it if the next couple of games don't go their way Mm. and the game against Norwich at the weekend is one that I'm sure the fans would have looked at and thought three points will beat Norwich at home and they didn't so you never know what might happen with the next couple of games and before you know it Look at what Southampton have done. I know that they lost to Liverpool at the weekend, but they were brilliant, by the way. Mm. Amazing performance. I really don't think good. any team has had that many shots against Liverpool in the first half this season so far. They were they were excellent and, and kind of cruel, really, the way the, the game panned out, that they couldn't get anything out of it. Yeah, they had it on in um, a hooky, on, a, on a sort of hooky feed in my barbers. And um, it, it made it ever so dramatic <laughs> because Danny Ings went over and then the picture froze. Oh no! And you're like, what's happening? What's happening? No way! At that key moment. That, uh, yeah. Wow. Like the next time it came on, Liverpool. One Liverpool, up. yeah, one up. <laughs> yeah, extraordinary. Twenty six seconds after that penalty shot for Southampton, Liverpool scored. But that, that's just the nature of the game, isn't it? Now, and I think that when you look at what Southampton have done and and climbing up the table, when I would say back in November, everyone would have said Southampton were one of the favourites to be relegated. Yeah. Particularly, you know, after the 9-0 defeat to Leicester, I think they they didn't win any of their last three or four games after that. And it was after that point that the table started to turn for yeah. Southampton and they put together this run, which has, had seen them climb up to around about ninth in the table. They're now back in the bottom half after losing to Liverpool. But that's how quickly things can turn around. You put a string of wins together and you can climb up the table and likewise you can lose a few games and you're right down in it. What for the perfect example when Mm. they had that initial bump under Nigel Pearson and funnily enough I don't think they played significantly worse over the last couple of weeks in in, in which they have had a a few reverses Um, and obviously the the one against Everton will be difficult to to, to get over Um, they're they're back in the bottom three again but it's almost as if when they had that mini little run People thought, you know, Nigel Pearson with Leicester before. Oh, Watford are safe now. And they've never been safe. But I, I don't know if, like, I'm sure Watford fans don't need telling this. But Premier League fans at large, maybe only that result of the weekend has made them start to think, oh, actually, Watford are still very much in it. Second second bottom now. What I found interesting as well is um, Nigel Pearson's programme notes ahead of the game at Vicarage Road at the weekend you can look at them one of two ways. So what he said in his programme notes, one of the kind of key quotes from it were, he said, I don't sense any fear in the players. I've got a bunch of strong characters here who have no fear about the situation they're in. Now you can look at that in one way, which is how Tim Sherwood looked at it in the sense of, that's what you need when you're in a relegation fight. You need yes. strong characters to kind of get you through this and to sort of be confident and be positive. Yeah. On the other hand, after now that they've lost that game, you could also look at it and go, maybe were they a bit cocky? 
where mm. did they think after getting a few decent results, we're going to get ourselves out of this now? And you can't take any game for granted. You know, they were 2-0 up. To get that cushion in a game is a fantastic position to be in. To then concede two goals just before half time in the manner that they did. It's all about it's the manner. It's deflating, isn't it? It's all about the manner. It's mm. like the Ramble boys were saying yesterday and Marcus was saying yesterday. Um, you won't concede two worse goals than that. Yeah. They were absolutely awful. Um but you know it is it is much of a muchness in the in the bottom half of the Premier League this season. There's no doubt about that. Going back to Newcastle United, I'm quite hopeful. I, th- I think Lazaro will, will work out. I I really like him. Um, Bentaleb. I think people forget that. Well, firstly, he was very important for Schalke for a long time before he, he, he fell out with them, and he was given a lot of responsibility there. People forget how good he was for Tottenham for for quite a long spell before it all went south with with Pochettino as well. Danny Rose is an interesting one, isn't he? How do you think it will go with them? Because, you know, he's not been at his best for, for Tottenham for quite a while. I think he's seen that, well, obviously he knew he wasn't going to get offered a, a new contract. That's the way he's he's presented it. Um, this is an opportunity for him to try and cement a place in the Euro 2020 squad. If he's playing at 80, 85% of what he's got, I mean, Newcastle have got a player that they, they couldn't have hoped for at the, the start of the window. There's no denying his quality as a player, yeah. is there? From look at his achievements in his career so far, we know what he's capable of. But he's a re- he's an interesting character, isn't he? And yeah, I very. I think from what I don't know him personally, but from what I know of him in terms of what you read and what you see and the kind of impression you get from him as a character, I get the sense that this is a move that he's going to relish. Mm. I think he wants to go to Newcastle and kind of prove everyone wrong and prove that he deserves to be starting. Premier League games each and every week. Well, it's not just that. If he plays there and plays well, I mean, he is probably their biggest player, isn't he? Yeah. And I think you're right. He will love that sort of status. I mean, it's easy to forget the way in which he burst into the Premier League on his debut, that incredible goal against Arsenal in the North London derby. Yeah. And he scored that goal. And everyone thought, oh my God, who is, who is this, this guy? guy? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And like to take centre stage like that again, you know, this is a guy who's you know, made himself a left back, but there's no doubt he's, he's good enough to play in midfield at a team like a team like that if he wanted to as well. Mm. No, I don't think if we're further down the line and you're looking about him staying at Newcastle on a, on a more long term basis, I don't think that would necessarily put them off signing Jetro Willems if it was a doable deal because I think you could have them both in the in, in the same team. You know, this is not a squad that's saturated with quality yeah. by any stretch of the imagination he is a huge step up from from what they already have. And Newcastle are a massive club. Yeah. They are where they are in the table because the last few years have been what they've been at Newcastle. But actually, as a club, they are massive. They have a huge fan base, a fan base that are going to massively get behind the team in the FA Cup tonight. They would love a cup run, going back to what we were saying before. The fans would love to see that for their club. Yeah. But also, this is a club that wants to keep pushing up now and and it's it's really interesting because I feel like there are always these talks about the potential takeover it'd be interesting to get your thoughts Andy on what you make of this potential Saudi Arabian takeover that's being spoken of at the moment I know the fans are very cynical I'm very cynical <laughs> I, I, I won't believe it until it's inked and, and and Mike Ashley's not not coming back um you know we, we know he wants a, a certain level of return on his investment and if, if I was if I was a Saudi investor, 
why and I had all the money in the world why would I want to buy Newcastle United wouldn't I want to buy a team? And of course they're enormously well supported but they're enormously well supported within a certain region would I not want to buy a club that's got more global clout and, and more you know, global fan base possibly I, I think I'm not saying Newcastle wouldn't be a, a good investment for the right person um <laughs> But the thing that concerns me as, as well is when you look at this, I think Newcastle United fans, or a lot of Newcastle United fans are in a funny position because they're so desperate to get rid of Ashley and they're so, they've been so desperate to get rid of Ashley for a, a long time. They're almost not really bothered who takes the club as long as someone does. And that, I think, leaves you in a bit of a vulnerable position because the fans aren't really asking the right questions. I know one angle of it that's been brought up is the the morality of, of, of the money that's coming into the club. Why is it being invested? And I think that's a valid question. But I think those questions are so unlikely to be asked by the wider fan base. You know, Manchester City had this before when Taksin Shinawatra took, took over the club before um, the, the, there was the Saudi takeover there. And so much has been said about um, uh, Manchester City and, and, and the investment in them since... Newcastle United are not selling from a position of strength because everyone knows how much they want to get rid of Mike Ashley. So is there really the necessary level of critical eye from the fan base? And is there the unity within the fan base to make a judgment on a prospective owner? I'm I'm not sure there is. And, you know, knowing how, like, very intimately, how important Newcastle United is, um, to the city, to its people, to the region, I think the fans need to have a serious think about where the club is going next. Because, like I said, they're not a global concern. Newcastle United fans should know that they have the power. And I think that's something that they've started to grasp with St. James's Park being emptier this season. The fact is, if the stands aren't full there, the club isn't worth a bean. It's those fans and the fact that it's quite a unique club, and we talked about it on um, Jules Nandy already this season, it's at the heart of the city. They make that club what it is unlike any other Premier League club. And so I think that's worth bearing in mind when you're talking about going on to the next level and maybe a, a change of ownership because the last thing they want to be is lumbered with another owner that they're they're unhappy with after all this time. I did say loads of lovely emails, didn't I? This is a good email. I really like this from uh, Mike Laidlaw. Hello, Jules and Andy. First of all, love the show and the unique perspective you bring to football analysis. I think I mean you, not me. (laughs) Hello, Um, Mike. I wanted to know your thoughts on Emma Hayes and her management skills and style compared to her male counterparts. I thought prior to Frank Lampard getting the job that Emma might have been a good shout to take over from Sarri. Her management style fits the mould of attacking and entertainment football and she seems to be highly respected in the game and especially at Chelsea. She also bleeds Chelsea and loves the club like a fan, which is similar to Lampard. Could we see a female coach taking charge of a top-level club in the future? Very interesting email, Mike. Um, It's a really good question and and something I think that we can have a really good strong discussion about Andy because this is something that has been spoken about before and Emma Hayes is that character and is that name that keeps coming up. Is she going to be the first female manager that we see in the Premier League? And I say, why not? I think she's got all the attributes 
all the characteristics to be able to handle it. And mm. I think that that's probably the one thing that people would say, well, would she be able to handle it? Would she be able to handle a big job like that? I think she would. You see the way she holds her own. I know that it, it's different because it's punditry, but the way she does her punditry and holds her own both on the radio and on the telly, I think she's excellent. I've interviewed her as well, and she is a very strong character. She doesn't take any shit. I'm just going to put it out there. She doesn't. She really doesn't. And I've interviewed her, and I was quite intimidated. Mm. When I was interviewing her, I thought, oh, God, like... Oh, like I don't want to get anything wrong here, you know. And I think that she has the characteristics to be able to manage a male team as well as females. Obviously, we've seen the work that she's done at Chelsea. She's been there for a long time now. Yeah. And I know a lot of players that have played under her that say nothing but good things. She's a brilliant manager. And who, yeah, I mean, why not? Why couldn't she manage a team in the Premier League? I agree. I, th- I think something like this is is in the post, in, in the not too distant future and you look at uh, Eni Aluko uh, getting the management job at, at Aston Villa and I, I really think attitudes are changing and like like you I I think I think we can't go too hard on the punditry because of course capability in terms of being a pundit and capability in terms of being a head coach are two entirely separate things but on the other hand I think for prominent um, figures in the uh, female figures in in football that's really important because in terms of being publicly accepted in terms of being publicly taken seriously in terms of showing the 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 way you perceive and analyze the game sadly it's still really important i think as as a woman you do have to go that extra mile to 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 prove that you know what you're talking about i mean you know there was there was that um there, there was that chat the other week wasn't there about um uh, you know water cooler chat at work and uh, you know would it would ridiculous. it leave out or, it, it, it is it is ridiculous but even though um th- there's that assumption in that thing that oh, well women don't like to talk about football at work which is nonsense on the other hand wouldn't you say if women are talking about football at work they've a lot more to prove 100% like, like because a a guy can get away with knowing not that much and still hang with the conversation. I'm not sure a woman can. No, I agree. I completely agree. I think that it's something I've experienced myself working in the industry as a female that is Mm. male dominated. And I've experienced it more so at the start of my career than I know I'm still in the early stages, but I experienced it a lot more in the beginning stages where Mm. I felt like I had to constantly prove that I was there and I was worthy to be there. I was there on merit and not just because they needed a female football presenter. Yeah. You know, and... and, and oh, if, if, if ever you need me to vouch for you, by the way, I will. You're a total nerd. Oh, <laughs> I am a geek, proper geek. Um, but that that's the thing is that you do have this sense where you feel like you have to prove yourself more than your male counterparts. Yeah. As you've already said, you know, the, the guys can come in. A, a male presenter in the same position as me with the same amount of experience as me could probably come in and be accepted straight away. Whereas as a female, there is still that sense that you do have to go that extra mile to prove that you know what you're talking about. You've got good reason to be there and that, you you know, you, you, you've proven that your knowledge is there more yeah. so than perhaps your male counterpart would. And it's probably going to be the same for someone like an Emma Hayes, who I think eventually will take a job in male football. Um, and and that's the thing, is it, it 
it could happen one day. And I think she's exactly the type of character that will eventually break the mould. Yeah, it'll be interesting to to see. Thanks for that, Mike. Also, um, we've got one following on from the winter break chat uh, last week from uh, Matthew Challenger. Uh, great pod, loved it this year. Jules and Andy, uh, excellent addition to the Ramble family. Love the chat in the latest episode about the winter break with games across two weekends. I'm Australian and Australian rules football has been doing this for a while. A much needed break for the players, I think. We also have a heritage round where many clubs wear a classic jersey. I personally love this. Oh, I love but it. also there's a derby round. Granted, there's no relegation in the AFL, so the same teams always play. But what do you think of a derby round in English football? TV, TV companies would definitely scupper this. Well, maybe they wouldn't. Um, but how good would a Premier League weekend would be with Manchester derby, Merseyside derby, North London derby, plus as many local rivals as possible, i.e. Wolves Villa, Chelsea West Ham, Bournemouth Southampton. Obviously, teams left over wouldn't always be derbies, but it, it would be exciting. <laughs> Bless those little leftover ones that wouldn't have a rival. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would be great, wouldn't it? I would love that. I think that would be amazing well, to have I, I all of those games across... We've, we've kind of had that with Super Sunday. Yeah, it happens a bit, before. doesn't it? It, it kind of sinks... only two or three, though. It kind of sinks over Europe, doesn't it? You know, you, 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 can, you can have, you know... Bayern Dortmund and all those on every every mm. like one weekend. That's definitely happened before. Yeah. In in the recent past. Yeah, no, it has. But I think to have every Premier League fixture as close to being a derby as you could, that would be quite exciting. Yeah. So when Deliveroo think... comes into its own, isn't it? <laughs> Don't even talk to me about Deliveroo. Okay. I ruined my order again this weekend. Okay. Other <laughs> I didn't get my chips. Other other food delivery <laughs> services are available. Well, just get up off your ass and go and get it yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's what I'm going to have to do next time. I keep you know. complaining. Might as well get up myself. Um, yeah, as, as, as well, th- this is a last one. Point of order from Alex Walsh. Uh, Jules Andy, and Andy, I love your show and I listen religiously. Um, I've always wanted to have a reason to email in and the last pod has um, produced said reason. <laughs> Here so, we go. So anyway, my it's, I'm going to edit this uh, for brevity, but... Uh, Alex says, uh, my mother could care less about football unless uh, Shrewsbury were playing, which is the gorgeous town in the West Midlands in which she was born. Andy is not posh, but is correct in the pronunciation (gasps) of Shrewsbury, not the phonetic Shrewsbury. But don't worry, Jules, it's a common mistake folks not from Shropshire make. I hope this settles the debate and that you two fine journos can help your cohorts (laughs) pronounce it correctly for the replay commentary. So... It's Shrewsbury, and there's nothing posh about that. That's that's what Alex says. But then the thing is, is the way it's spelled. If 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 you were saying taming of the shrew, you wouldn't say taming of the shrew. Oh, come on! <laughs> I'm not being funny, but it's the same word. Well, Alex, for Alex said as um, uh, Shrewsbury produced mm-hmm. the the unlikeliest of comebacks to get the replay. We had tea and snacked on marmite on toast. Don't worry, only my mom and I eat Marmite, none of the others can stand it. Is Marmite a Shrewsbury thing as well? I'm rooting for Shrewsbury and... Sorry, Shrewsbury. God, I I just can't get it right. This was a Stakhanov production. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.